Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, no one, whoever's going to hear this. Uh, this is Dr. Simon, and uh, when I finished my uh, show, Two Stories, uh, based upon the novel The Sun by Philip Meyer, and the uh, basically extended essay on uh, uh, Israel by Ari Shavit called My Promised Land, The Triumph and Tragedy of Israel, um, I, I thought that uh, there were certain threads uh, of ideas that uh, I didn't expand on and I didn't properly develop. Uh, when I finished that book, um, the, the especially, I'm not going to talk about the sun tonight, uh, when I finished the Shavit book, uh, I was exhilarated, depressed, but exhilarated at the same time. Because when I look at the situation that Israel is in now, and I identify more with Israel uh, than I do with any country except the United States, um, for me, whatever problems Israel has, whatever mistakes it makes, uh, it is a, a necessary entity in my consciousness as a Jew. Israel has to exist. Uh, I cannot imagine a world without Israel. And I think most Jews feel this way. Uh, unfortunately, uh, much of the world that surrounds Israel cannot imagine a world with Israel. And this creates uh, an intractable problem, particularly uh, if Iran develops or has maybe has even already developed an atomic bomb and the fanatics there uh, are in control and truly believe that uh, wiping out Israel with an atomic weapon uh, is a possibility, uh, the damage that will be done in that area, the physical damage, uh, the human damage will be enormous because uh, as I learned when I was in Israel, some years ago, uh, two years ago, Israel is probably the fourth, maybe fifth, but probably the fourth largest nuclear power in the world. For there to be a nuclear exchange in that part of the world, I think would have unbelievable amounts of damage. The damage would not only be in that area, it would be worldwide uh, for two reasons. One, uh, there will be enormous amounts of damaging fallout that will surround uh, much of the world. Sand that becomes radioactive will go up into the atmosphere and will circle the world. Uh, the, amount, the millions who will die, uh, the destruction of the oil fields, uh, it's just unimaginable to see that uh, happen. But secondly, that kind of exchange, that kind of short war, which uh, Khrushchev said to Kennedy, uh, he said to Kennedy when we almost went to war with Cuba, uh, and both sides blinked and worked out a secret deal and backed away from what might have been World War III. Khrushchev said, one hour after World War III, there will be the dead and those who hoped they would be dead. 
so the physical damage to the world would be so enormous. The financial cost of uh, destroying the oil fields uh, that won't be able to be used for 10,000 years would be enormous because we really have not put anything in place uh, in, in the short run to replace oil, to replace uh, carbon as the way in which we keep the world uh, running and heated. But often more than that, and this is something that uh, I've been depressed about and upset about for a very long time, the recognition of what we're capable of doing uh, would come home to us uh, in a very strong way. The Holocaust uh, demonstrated what human beings are capable, really capable of doing uh, one to another. Uh, when idealization of the group, the tribe, is combined with a sense of being a victim and thus uh, uh, as a victim has a right to retaliate uh, whether or not the people retaliated against are innocent or, or guilty, and the ability to demonize human beings, to see them as less than human and less than worthwhile, whether they're man, woman, child, or infant, uh, that shook, and I do believe, whether it's conscious or not, has shaken many people on this planet. We struggle very hard to see ourselves as good. We struggle hard to do good, however good is defined. We struggle, but the Holocaust, as I said in one of my earlier shows, uh, one of my favorite philosophers, uh, Robert Nozicki, who died recently uh, at Harvard, who was a Harvard professor, it really shows that the human race not as individuals, but as a group, no longer can be considered special, except perhaps uh, in, in a, a destructive sense, in our capacity to destroy one another and to destroy the planet, which I think we're doing a good job on right now, but I'm not going to go into that. But that's another story, another sad story. I think for the Middle East which is the center of Islam, of Christianity, and Judaism, to be destroyed in hatred, uh, in, in, in uh, a, 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 not, uh, what to me is pointless, but is, is to, to uh, those there, holy war, uh, God-driven, God-justified, uh, would shake the foundations of what we see ourselves to be as human beings. And I'm not sure that we would recover from that. Because I'm not sure, and I do believe we haven't really recovered from the consequences of what the world saw and how the world stood by as the Holocaust took place. So the, the, the struggle there uh, at this moment is for those who have read the book and have discussed it with me, kind of intractable. Um, the degree of idealization on both sides, the degree of dehumanization on both sides, 
the degree of the sense of victimization on both sides. Uh, while I think it is greater uh, in some total in the Arab world and the Islamic world, Israel seems to be drifting, uh, when I read uh, Shavit's book, more and more towards a kind of a removal of democracy, a wish for a, a kingdom of God in which the Jew, because of their genuine victimization, puts on the mantle of the victim, says we are chosen, this is our land. In fact, Shavit actually discusses with some of the people he interviews their belief uh, that a good clarifying war, a final war, uh, would be a good thing. For, this to, 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 for Israel to solidify its position along that, those sides, really to me, is a devastating thought. And what I thought about when I talk, when I talk about this, this uh, broadcast, um, it's not to get involved in which country is the better country. Uh, from a point of view, uh, my point of view, clearly my bias uh, is for Israel to exist, although my bias is not for Israel to be um, the victor because I don't believe there can be victors here. I hear people in my community talk about we now have a war with the Muslims, and I actually sat at a meeting where one individual, an educated, college-educated, professional man, talked about the need for America and Israel uh, and whoever else wants to join to wipe out every man, woman, and child uh, in the Islamic world. And when I asked him who should carry this out, he said we should have special troops, special troops to do this. And I said to him, you mean the kind of special troops that the Nazis had when they carried out the Holocaust? Five million Jews, two million gypsies, several million, two, three, four million additional people considered untermenschen, considered dehumanized, considered inferior, uh, Look in the mirror, and what you see is what you hate. Um, there is no way out of that. this, it seems to me, except a conceptual way out. And that's what I really want to talk about tonight. <clears throat> What's the way out? There are two uh, areas that I think those of you who listen to this and those of us uh, who believe in science and in democracy have to stand and foster and say they're not perfect to be a scientist or to think scientifically. Um, democracy, said Winston Churchill, is no way for people to live. Uh, it's just better than any other way. And I want to talk about why. And I don't know if there's any chance for democracy to be victorious over authoritarian and totalitarian governments, be they religious or be they religiously based or be they uh, um, uh, anti-religiously based. Uh, when things like communism, uh, Russia's communism, or Mao Zedong's um, or 
totalitarian uh, version of Chinese communism reigned supreme in those countries um, and, and with Putin uh, trying to restore <clears throat> a Russian empire uh, and, and destroying democracy, as I understand it, and I'll talk about the elements of this. Um, uh, we're in trouble. We're in great danger. So uh, it's not just merely a religious totalitarianism, but an anti-religious totalitarianism that uh, we have to avoid. And I'm not sure it's going to happen. I mean, uh, one of the things that upset me last week, and there are so many things, uh, I was uh, listening to a broadcast in which the individual in Texas, if I remember the name Cunningham, I'm not sure that was his name, but that's the name somehow that sticks with me, uh, was running for attorney general of Texas, a very important position. And he was talking to his uh, faithful uh, and saying that uh, even before he's a Republican and even before he's an American or a Texan, he's a Christian. And it is clear that this individual who's running on a platform of anti-abortion and anti-gay uh, 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 talking to that particular group for whom uh, social issues such as those uh, uh, to, to uh, uh, in the name of Christianity, um, who is, seems to be a favorite and probably is going to win, represent both the death of democracy and the death of science in the United States. Uh, for those who keep saying it can't happen here, uh, it can happen here. <clears throat> and it may be happening here. Every time I see um, the Republican Party, and again, I'm not anti-Republican, uh, but every time I see uh, that one, what one says they all say, I keep wondering where are the individual voices uh, in this party. There used to be individual voices. There was a conservative wing. There was a liberal wing. Uh, all agreed on certain principles of small government, uh, pro-business, uh, you know, low taxes, uh, but not anti-human beings, not uh, 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 an open attack on uh, gays, homosexuals, as if they're not human and not allowed or not uh, to be, to be uh, seen as uh, human and having uh, the right to live and participate in an American democracy. So uh, let me talk about the elements of uh, what I think are necessary uh, for us to avoid uh, the kind of carnage that might take place. Uh, I don't think it's beyond you know, uh, thought that if uh, Russia attacks Ukraine uh, and, and uh, the NATO alliance gets involved in that, uh, we couldn't have the same kind of miscalculations that um, took place in August of 1914 that plunged us into World War I, uh, known as the Great War for those who fought it. Um, not the good war, but the great war, uh, 60, 70 million dead, carnage, uh, another, another nail in the coffin of human beings to believe optimistically in themselves uh, and their right to have a future collectively, not as individuals, but collectively. 
not to believe that we are a mistake evolutionarily, or as Elie Wiesel, who said in one of his books, through one of his characters, God pulled the plug on us. We are a mistake. You made a mistake. Start over. Uh, that notion is really destructive uh, once it creeps into an individual uh, and becomes the source of self-hatred and depression and hopelessness, which really is what depression is. And if that becomes the collective belief of large groups of people, then you end up with nihilism. You end up with self-destructive behavior. Live for now. Drugs. Uh, uh, the kind of stuff that Shafet describes as going on in Israel among the young. Uh, loveless sex. Uh, drugs. Uh, let it all hang out. Live for today. Uh, which is wonderful as long as it's not destructive so that the individual or the group has no tomorrow. So here is my, my, my story for a future uh, that will avoid uh, what is going on and what could go on. Oh, let me stop for a second and talk about Israel's neighbor, Syria. Uh, what is going on in Syria? <clears throat> Again, we say things like, I hear myself say it, I see others say it, it's unbelievable. But the problem is it is believable, it is happening. Um, when when some, somebody said to me recently, uh, how can he do to his own people, how can Assad and his soldiers and his, his people who support him do to their own people? And the answer is, they're not his people. Uh, much of the Middle East, the countries in the Middle East, were cobbled together along the economic and political needs of the English, the French. Uh, these were tribal areas, and they didn't form a nation-state in the same way that the European nation-states formed over centuries, or that the United States formed uh, through its history where the national ideal superseded religious ideals, um, where, where um, uh, tribes exist, but they're subordinated to a larger sense of a tribe called a nation, uh, where uh, 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 one large <clears throat> set of ideals and values supersede the somewhat different values of local tribes, of local religions. Syria uh, is ruled by a minority, and I, at the Alawites, I, you know, I'm probably getting this wrong, um, but the, the larger part of the country uh, is a different sect. I think it's Sunni, or it may be Shia. And so the ability of one tribe that sees itself that way and wants to keep power, probably because God uh, or Allah and their version of Allah and God uh, allows that to take place, allows an idealization to take place uh, and then a dehumanization of the other tribe. And Syria now has come apart and half the country has left impoverished one of the more educated and wealthy countries in the Middle East has fractured and with poison gas 
uh, being used, uh, and all manner of weapons, children being starved to death as a means of political uh, retaliation. Um, it's, it's a picture that is horrendous, and the rest of us sit back and watch this happen. Why do we let it happen? Because they're not our tribe. Because our own prejudices fail to push us to see the terrible human suffering that's going on there that could determine policies different than what we see now. We stand by and watch this happen. As the world stood by and watched uh, 13 million people go to ovens and slave labor, Five million of them merely because they were Jewish. Two million merely because they were gypsy. Uh, This kind of behavior is so prevalent and so powerful because it, it fractures human beings don't see other human beings. They only see a mass and the mass that they belong to that sings out in one voice of hatred and destruction can't see the suffering in the humanity in those people uh, who uh, they fight against and seek to destroy. We have to take this seriously in ourselves. And just to say, love thy neighbor, love your enemy, uh, which is taught in Christian theology, uh, which has been accepted by many religions around the world. To make it a dictate, to say, just go do it, doesn't make it happen. It happens only when we teach our children and struggle with ourselves to recognize psychologically how easily we slip into the role of monster. Uh, I did two good shows, I thought, on that. You could look them up in my archive where we are human beings but can't see the suffering we create or ignore in other human beings and don't see them as human beings. We now are monsters. And when we turn others into monsters, we automatically become monsters ourselves. Can we have an exercise, teach our children every morning to get up and say, as Harry Stack Sullivan, the fine psychoanalyst uh, of the 20th century, said we are all more human than otherwise. We all bleed. We all go to the bathroom. We all get hungry. We all suffer. We all have to face death. We all need love. We all need our needs taken care of in one way or another. Uh, Can we get up in the morning and look and say, my worst enemy who I'm terrified of, who I feel hate towards, is still a human being. That there are no less and no more than human beings on this planet. So, the political system, I believe, has to win out is a democracy. And the concept of a democracy uh, is an interesting one. And it grows out of, in many ways, the scientific revolution. Its experiment uh, uh, in living, um, it takes centuries for the basic ideas of a democracy to take hold. And that is uh, 
whatever people believe in terms of God, God does not rule in a democracy. To go back to Shavat's book and, and my thoughts about Israel for a moment, make me a lot of enemies if I say this, I think uh, I'm not sure any state based on religion can ultimately be a democracy. It is so hard to say my religion and my view of God is merely the equal of every other religion and other belief of God. Um, when it becomes literalized that God is a man walking around in the sky or there's an eye in the sky or there's a power that knows us and that power loves me more than it loves you. We have moved away from a situation in which a democracy can exist. In a democracy, there has to be a recognition that there are no ultimate authorities in the creation of our laws and the way we govern ourselves. Religion, I believe, has to be a private matter or a matter for people to commune with uh, on their families, uh, with their local community. But once people running for office say they're Christian or Jewish first or Muslim first and everything else comes second, I believe we're in trouble. And I think the struggle within Israel, as Shavit writes about it, and again, I recommend this book, whether you're Jewish or you're not Jewish, because I think it's such an important book. Uh, if you look at what he is dealing with, what he himself is trying to struggle and figure out, is how do we remain, to be, remain religious and have a democracy in which there is equal rights and fairness for all? Can religion dominate a society and, and, and at the same time be host to that notion? Can we accept the rule of law that covers everybody, that everybody has the same rights, privileges, and responsibilities? Can we? Can we uh, uh, create and teach a set of notions that we elect our officials, that the father does not give uh, the crown to his son, that it doesn't work along bloodlines. Uh, families can become dynasties, the Bushes, um, uh, the Kennedys in our time. Uh, this has happened, but not because they are born to be president, but because they have to be elected. Open fair elections. Whenever I look at an autocratic state, whether it is religious or anti-religious, it is the hate for democracy, a fear of democracy, a fear that a higher power and those who speak for the higher power have to tell everyone how to live and live in lockstep and not tolerate individual differences, and individual political opinion. It's the authoritarian and totalitarian mode that is the enemy of democracy, that creates a closed society. 
And therefore, religion to me, ultimately, if we are to survive, has to become part of a person's private life and that separate from the dominant political process. Uh, America has done rather well for 200 plus years because our founding fathers understood uh, uh, that notion, a separation of church and state, a firewall between church and state. We've had that in the United States. Uh, It exists in a number of European countries and countries in different parts of the world. But here and everywhere it is under attack as people lose faith in themselves to govern themselves uh, and live with their neighbors. There is always a tension between being an individual and expressing individuality. Always that tension. Always a tension between wanting to be, have one's own voice and be an individual and submerge oneself in the mob, in the group. Raising your children, raising, when I raised my children, I was aware of that tension. I want them to follow the family uh, rules. I want them to follow and be part of, of the culture that they inherit. I want them to be a good American. I want them to be uh, a part of the Jewish faith. I want all of these things, but I want them to have their own individual voice that owns these things rather than is submerged by them because I believe the good life can't be lived unless we are creative, unless we are part of a family, part of a society, part of a culture, part of it as well as separate from it. That we are part of but not submerged in that culture. One of the things that fostered democracy was science. And I want to talk again, I've talked about this many times, about what good science is. Science, unfortunately, in psychology, became a method. And I don't believe there's one method to be a good scientist. Um, I believe it's an attitude. And the attitude has certain elements as a part of it. One is, there is no ultimate authority that knows everything. Anything anybody knows today can be shown to be either partly or wholly false with evidence. Visual, experimental, artistic evidence. There is no ultimate knowledge and no ultimate authority, and no one can say to someone else, you can't know this. What the scientific method shown is that knowledge is not based on faith, it's based on experience. That which we take on faith, we don't take as true, but we see as theory. It's educated guess. It is not because the authority says so, true. There are facts, there are things that are not facts, but facts have to be demonstrated, they have to be seen, and that which can't be seen, which we take on faith to exist, like the search for the quark or the 
Higgins uh, uh, particle, which they think now may they found, whatever that is, uh, is taken on faith levied by doubt and theory. What makes science so powerful uh, and wish my field of psychology and psychiatry would follow this is that we don't confuse our descriptions of things with judgments of things. And I have done many shows, and those of you who uh, uh, want to go back into my uh, critiques of psychiatry, uh, to judge something is not to understand it, and to understand something, or someone especially, is not to judge them. When we call somebody stupid, we call somebody a genius. What we are saying in our ignorance is, I don't understand their mind and how their mind works or how their mind processes information or how they perceive the world, but I don't have to now because my judgment of them supersedes any need to find out and try to see the world through their eyes. The whole stupid, pointless DSM, the DSM-5 coming along uh, soon to supersede for literally, uh, as I understand it, written by the drug companies uh, with those uh, who believe somehow that these judgments are true, reified diseases, um, it blocks understanding. It leads to hurt. It leads to damage. And as I wrote in my last book, uh, is anti-democratic because it doesn't allow you to take seriously the individual perceptions of those who are called crazy or psychotic or depressed. Uh, I have never met a depressed person, a person who feels hopeless and helpless, uh, who has given up, uh, who hasn't been kicked in the ass by life too many times, uh, and for that individual finds the pain of living unbearable. Why they feel that pain unbearable, I don't know, until it's explored, until we understand it on an individual as well as a group basis. So, my friends, I think I've done enough for tonight. Um, I'm going to go back and uh, have a cup of tea, a little piece of cake, and join my wife with a, uh, watching some television show we both like. And um, I think I've done enough. And uh, how long have I been on the air? I think that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. Um, read the Shavit book. Recognize the dangers to our democracy. For those of you who hear this and believe what I say and subscribe to it, join with me. Uh, make your own show on Blog Talk Radio uh, on Speak Out uh, for democracy, for individual uh, as well as uh, group cohesiveness. Uh, recognize those who say that the group supersedes the individual. Recognize the others who say the individual has a right to supersede the group, uh, that we are uh, supermen who can uh, do as we wish because we have in, uh, in our democracy the right to do as we wish. Uh, without worrying about how it damages the whole or how it damages the group. And when I see the far left and I see the far right, they're really next to each other because both would destroy what we have. 
one claiming that the group is not important, the other saying that the individual is not important. I don't know how we make this happen. I'm not sure we're going to make this happen, that we become good scientists in our lives and recognize that when we make a statement uh, and we say the facts, that we recognize that uh, unless we have proof for the facts, we have to say it is my opinion or it is my theoretical belief. It is my idea. When in the last election, Mitt Romney's uh, uh, manager, political manager, said this election will not be based on facts, uh, I died a little inside. Uh, facts are not important. Uh, Herman Goebbels, the Minister of Propaganda, understood that facts are not important. He said, say the same lie over and over again, and it becomes the truth. But it becomes the truth for individuals who don't understand the difference between a judgment and a description. Individuals uh, who individually or collectively look at other human beings and don't see human beings, but see gods or see things who become monsters or the victims of monsters. Um, I don't see anybody calling in. I hope my show is heard. I hope it's disseminated. Uh, I think maybe I'm going to have to do something eventually if I can get the energy and the time to uh, do more with social media. Uh, my son-in-law gave me a lecture. Uh, quite have to be able to... Uh, thought uh, uh, really, uh, if I'm interested in getting large numbers of people to hear this, participate with me, uh, we're going to have to uh, use social media. It is that powerful. But that's for another time and another story. So I'm going to end my broadcast now. I'm going to say good night. I'm going to say good luck to all of us because I think we're going to need it. And think about what I want to do to tell my next story. Good night.